The following is a TPC Network podcast. Hey, Pimpin'. Yo, yo, yo. Coming into the ring, weighing in at 185 pounds, the man, the myth, the legend, Nathan Pippen! Yeah, woo! You suck. You suck. This is kind of hurtful, Steve. Yeah, well, that's the wonderful world of professional wrestling. I think we need to talk. Welcome back. So glad you guys could join us. I am here once again with Nathan Pepin. How's it going, Nate? Doing well, doing well. Also, was that Kurt Angle's theme song? It was indeed the infamous Kurt Angle. He is so amazing. I, I, I love him. You know, he won the Olympics medal, gold, with a broken neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was the first American to ever win gold in wrestling. Really? Oh, I think so. Oh, okay. Let's go with it. Um, I think he competed at the same time as Mark Henry when Mark Henry did the lifting. And Mark Henry was injured as well and still took bronze. Mark Henry was a beast. I mean, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, he could have done far more than he actually did if he put in more time. Uh, it was he decided to quit wrestling. I mean, to quit powerlifting because he said that the game was too much into steroids and he was not doing any steroids and was out competing most people who were doing steroids but he said it just wasn't a level playing field yeah he, he was doing uh actually he did both powerlifting and olympic lifting mm-hmm. and olympic lifting is very very technical like it's it's about lifting the most amount of weight in that sport mm-hmm. but it's it's not like powerlifting where it's all about like strength and you know technique is important but in Olympic weightlifting, it's maybe like 50 or more like percent with technique. It's mostly technique. And at the same time, so we're talking about some amazing actual Olympic level athletes who ended up becoming professional wrestlers in the WWE. And I think it's just fascinating that you can come from all these different walks of life and come together and you can use these types of things in your persona, like Kurt Angle called himself the only true athlete in the WWE. And he loved, he played that heel persona so well while being like a likable heel that you love, you love to hate him. What I find so amazing about Kurt Angle as well is he really sold anybody he, uh, he was wrestling. So for those who aren't aware, like wrestling is fake. What? It, wrestling is fake. So the Olympics are fixed? Uh, okay, professional wrestling is fake. Oh, yeah, well, duh. And so when you're, when you're wrestling with somebody, like, the whole, it's, it's, it's like tango, right? It's like dancing. So you got to sell that, you know, you got to sell your portion of it. So you're, you know, trying to punch them, make it look real. And the same thing, when you get punched, you need to make it look real. The biggest problem they have with people is that they, you know, get punched and stuff, and they just act like it's nothing. Like, it's like, you can't hurt me, which, it doesn't sell anything. 
what Kurt Angle was really good at is, you know, making things look real on his end, you know, when you punch people and kind of beat them up. But then when he would wrestle people, he'd make them look really good. I don't think that's what Kurt Angle was best at. A couple of things here. First off, sometimes it's okay to, to do a no-sell no. when you're doing something like... Uh, like um, Anyway, it's like some some tiny guy, like, say, Rey Mysterio going into yeah. the big show. Yeah. And he kicks him in the shin. Like, big show's not going to sell that like he's hurt. He's going to pretend it didn't happen. Undertaker, his whole persona is built around no-selling things. But then at other times, he needs to be able to be vulnerable and be able to sell things. So not selling isn't always a bad thing. But what Kurt Angle was really, really well known for is something... Uh, that Mr. Perfect and Chris Benoit were known for, uh, Dean Malenko, they were known for being technical wrestlers. So every move they do, and Kurt Angle is an amazing example of this, looks really good. It's exactly like how a, how you would see it if you were to draw it out in a textbook. They are so good at that. Um, I know if you look at his uh, his moonsault, Kurt Angle's moonsault is amazing. It's so good when he stands up on the top rope facing outside of the ring and jumps and does a backflip and lands with his stomach on the opponent. Mm-hmm. For, for me, watching Kurt Angle, I think the way he sold stuff was good. But I just remember so many matches where he was facing off against people who really weren't that great. Shane McMahon, for instance. He fought Shane McMahon at, uh, I think it was WrestleMania or something, and he made Shane McMahon look like a god. Shane McMahon's not that great of a wrestler. I mean, he's not, like, terrible, but, like, their match was the most enjoyable match of that night. And then he'd be wrestling other people, and he'd make the other people look really good. Of course, it's the other people as well, making themselves look good. But he was able to cooperate with people in a way to uh, put on a really good show, which... I, I don't disagree with your point either. Mm. I, I know Shane McMahon like gave it everything he had. He left the ring exhausted every single time. And that's another great mark of a great wrestler who maybe they don't have the, the star power or the uh, the charisma or anything like that, which Shane kind of did have to a degree. He was a McMahon, so it kind of came with the territory. But you're right. He's not. He's not. He wasn't a great wrestler, as great wrestlers go. But he was great at what he did. He he wasn't afraid to take risks to really put his body on the line in a way that a lot of other wrestlers wouldn't. There was that time he climbed way way up, almost to the scaffolding, and jumped off. And obviously, mm-hmm. it was a very padded area. But that's still really da- a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Even if you land on a bunch of pads on your neck, you can die. Yeah. The McMahons are pretty crazy in general. I mean, it's so weird they put them in such, like, risk, and they make themselves look like idiots. And these these people are the real, like, controllers of the company. Vince McMahon is not, like, a figurehead. It's not like uh, Paul Heyman. He's the GM of, you know, Raw or whatever. Was that, was that the thing? Something like He's been, yeah. He's yeah. done things like that. But he's actually the real, like, is he president? Or what is he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Real, he's a real president of the company. And he had Rikishi stink face him. And for those who aren't aware, Rikishi is this, like, some huge Samoan dude. He wears pretty much, like, a thong. And his uh, finisher move is, like, he, he, he keeps them, like, in the uh, corner, like a kernbuckle or whatever. Yeah. And they're just kind of, like, laying there. And uh, he'll just come over and do the stink face when he just, you know, pretty much uh, twerks in your face and it, you know, puts it right in there. He did that to the president of the company. And, and it's okay, to put it more in context, the president of the company said, hey, yeah, let's do this. 
I want this guy's ass my face because it'll be great entertainment. Absolutely. He also did um, the shaved head matches against Donald Trump, and law. And so he would. They each picked a person to wrestle for them, and whoever won the wrestling match, the uh, whoever was representing that person, the other one got their head shaved. That was a really convoluted way to say that, but basically the person that Vince McMahon picked lost. So he had to have his head shaved live on TV. Really? And he actually, well, yeah, he did it. Okay. I, I haven't kept up with wrestling. No, that was a long time. That was a while ago. Oh man. That, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty great. Yeah. Who, who were some of your favorite wrestlers and why? The rock. Mm-hmm. Stone cold, Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of obvious. Uh, the, the rock. I don't think the rock was like the best wrestler out there. He did well, though. Like, he was entertaining, but it's more his charisma, which is why I think he's doing so well today in, like, movies and, you know, the whole professional. He's the highest paid actor right now of all, like, of all time. Used to be Will Smith. Can, so, I guess when you're saying a good wrestler, I need a better definition because professional wrestling, there's so many different aspects to it that can make you a great wrestler. Mm. But like you're saying... Somebody like Kurt Angle was a very different style wrestler than The Rock or than The Undertaker. Right, right. So uh, the way I would put it is entertaining to watch. Like, you're kind of on your toes and kind of, like, wondering what will happen next. Like, it's not like... It's not like you're wondering... It's not like you know the outcome of the match. Rather, every little twist and turn with the match, you're like, oh, shit. Oh, is he hurt? Oh, he's going to lose. Oh, no, what's happening here? And it's just a ride. So, like, one example with The Rock, he had a match against Triple H and some other person, some WrestleMania or some kind of some kind of event, right? It was a, a pay-per-view event. And Stone Cold Steve Austin didn't show up. He was supposed to be his partner. So it's just The Rock versus Triple H and this other guy. And... Rock's just getting his ass kicked the whole time, but he's getting his ass kicked in like a very graceful way. Like you're like, oh shit, he's doing so good. Oh, he's gonna come back. Oh, and you're on the edge of your seat. Of course, Stone Cold Steel Austin comes, you know, in the last second and you know stunners everybody and they win. But uh, it's like the way he was selling his you know try you know struggle and you know almost being defeated and coming back and stuff. It was very like on the edge of your seat. Mm. The Rock is electrifying. But, but there's other matches with The Rock where I watched where it's just kind of boring because like, it's like, should he really be losing to this guy? Should, should this really be happening? And then you kind of don't believe it. You're just like, okay, it's, it's kind of like with John Cena. John Cena, I think he's good like on a technical level. Like he can do moves. He's, I guess people make fun of him because he only does like a couple moves out there, like uh, punches and stuff. But he's not... You kind of know how it's going to end. Like, the whole thing is pretty pretty obvious. Mm. You're not really, like, on the edge of your seat. They don't really sell a show. So, who who else did you like? Uh, so, this is this is a dumb example here. But uh, I really liked Rey Mysterio Jr. Um, I never really saw him wrestle. But it's like back in the day, uh, I used to really like Jeff Gordon. Never watched NASCAR. <laughs> Why did you like them? You just like their name? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you never watch Rey Mysterio actually wrestle. I didn't have SmackDown. <laughs> I know ne- I never saw him wrestle, but I liked him. He was one of my one of my favorites. I was just really into the idea of Rey Mysterio. Oh, the idea! <laughs> the idea of Did you like Sin Cara? 
Who, who's that? He's uh, he was a, a lucha libre wrestler who came over and he was really popular, but he kept doing like really high risk moves and stuff that he wasn't supposed to do and kept getting hurt. Mm. And he was hurt like all the time. Yeah, people didn't want to play to wrestle with him because he botched moves all the time and would get people hurt. Ooh. And, yeah. and I'm trying to think of anybody else. Uh, I mean, Scott Steiner was uh, entertaining. Um, but the, the main reasons The Undertaker is pretty cool, but I think he's kind of lame looking back. I think he's cooler when you kind of don't see him so much mm-hmm. because his kind of his stick is kind of a little. It's a little repetitive, a little lame. I think he's a great when you're a child. I think he's great if you're kind of like watching things. But he, I don't know, his, he's a little too repetitive with his uh, his themes. Is Scott Steiner Big Papa Pump? Yeah. The Freakzilla? Yeah. That guy, his, he has muscles on his muscles. Yeah, yeah. He, his biceps are weird. Yeah. The actual science behind that. So look up, look up Scott Steiner. And then just look up like him flexing like uh, his his arms, and you'll be like, that's weird. He has like a bicep on his bicep, and the actual reason behind that is bicep, you know, by two, so you have like two muscle heads, and his are just aligned in the way where usually when we flex we see this one, but his is actually placed a little more like upper on his arm, so when he flexes you actually see both heads at the same time it kind of looks like his bicep has a bicep it's, it's an illusion he's a genetic freak he really is though he's got lots of steroids lots and lots of steroids but he has really good genetics mm. it, it's both uh kane kane was kane was very intimidating mm. it's i don't know it's there's some of these people, like The Undertaker is one of them, but also Kane, where they could have like a three-minute ring entrance and it'd be okay. Like you're just on the edge of your seat like the whole time, like, oh my god, this is mm. so cool. And whenever they, they tease those wrestlers too, like let's say uh, something's happening and uh, let's say Rey Mysterio, just this random name out there, has a, has a uh, feud with Kane and then... Uh, Rey Mysterio messes up or something. He's, he just won the match, and then the red lights come on, and they're like, what, "What's happening? Is Kane coming out? Is Kane coming out?" And then nothing's happening, and people are just like on the edge of their seats. It might be three or four minutes of this, and eventually Kane comes out, and the whole crowd, crowd goes crazy, and it's like, "What the fuck?" That that, that uh, he, he somehow sells that. It's a it's a weird kind of thing, but mm. he's a very intimidating presence for sure. He's fucking tall. Mean Steve went to uh, a wrestling match or a wrestling event back in college. And we got, like, front row seats. And we saw Kane live. And he's, like, fucker's, like, seven feet tall. Mm. Fucking huge. He is a very large man, for sure. Like, he's intimidating on the TV, but in in person, you're like, I would never mess with this person. Like, I I wouldn't, I don't even want to say hi to him. (laughs) So it sounds like you know mostly, like, late 90s wrestlers. Yeah, I kind of stopped watching wrestling or paying attention to it when, uh, I, I don't want to say when I got older, but yeah, when I got older, it, it started not appealing as much to me because the, it, for me, what first intrigued me was the, was the storylines and the, the characters, and then it kind of became about the wrestling, and then it came, became about the girls, because the girls were, 
I mean, Stacy Keebler, Trish Stratus, um, what, what is, oh, it's so, so good. But then it became about uh, kind of the technical aspects and the kind of selling stuff. And kind of, I mean, not selling like merchandise, but selling moves and stuff, the acting and the things that were involved, were involved in that, kind of the behind the scenes stuff. And then I just kind of slowly moved away because I thought it was getting, the storylines weren't very good. I never liked the girls because back in the day, the girl, the wrestling between the girls, it wasn't about them wrestling. It was just about girl, scantily clad girls falling all over each other, which isn't really my bag. Um, I I liked the actual technical aspect of the wrestling itself, seeing mm. the cool moves, the innovative moves, and seeing the uh, the storyline. I didn't even care that much about, except for like the really ridiculous ones. Like uh, like Mark Henry as sexual chocolate <laughs> when he had a relationship with Mae Young, <laughs> who was uh, like 70 years old, maybe older. And there were scenes of them like in bed together in a hotel. And like there was no like they were doing it like no questions. <laughs> and then he got her pregnant at like 70 something years old. And then she gave birth live on television to a mannequin hand covered in goo. <laughs> that's something you can't make up. Like, that's just so apt. I remember that. Oh, wow. He was an Olympian grace. for the United States of America. <laughs> Please keep that in fucking context. Uh, now, would Mark Henry be one of your top wrestlers, or are there other others? No, no, I wasn't a huge fan of Mark Henry. Um, his uh, his persona was was kind of cool, but it wasn't something like he wasn't the type of wrestler that I like. I like the the technical wrestlers, like the like Kurt Angle, or um, I, I like Chris Benoit before he was. Obviously, I don't condone the way his life ended, um, but uh, I liked him as a wrestler. He was an amazing wrestler. He was so good. Mm. I think one of the most underrated wrestlers is X Pac, because at the time he was the he was the light heavyweight champion, which is I think the cruiserweight now, or there's a whole bunch of different names for it. Uh, but nobody else was competing at his level to the point where they dropped the division altogether because nobody could beat X Pac. He was just too good, too innovative. He he did these like crazy flying, jumping in the air kicks. He was just so good at the time. Maybe I fall into this, but I never really cared for X Pac. Never. I thought he was just kind of some guy who like a tag along, like for the whole D Generation X or whatever. Mm. And that's that's how cruiserweights were. Like this is coming off of the time back in the day. You couldn't be X Pac size. You couldn't be Rey Mysterio size and compete in wrestling. It was a big man sport, but as that started to to change and evolve, and and the athleticism of wrestlers started to become a much bigger thing than the actual like brute force, it gave birth to 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 the era where you could be a lighter wrestler and, and wrestle and be entertaining and sometimes be the most entertaining, um, to the point where Rey Mysterio has won the world heavyweight title, which doesn't make any sense because he's not a heavyweight. But he was so good, he was able to compete at that weight. Mm. Um, but X-Pac was so X-Pac was so ahead of his time, as far as light heavyweight division goes, that he didn't have anybody to compete with, and it made him look bad. 
Hmm, interesting. One parallel I can draw from what you're saying with uh, X-Pac being so good, which I'll, I'll take your word for that, is, uh, in, you know, innovating in that kind of way, is uh, there were other figures that innovated in other ways, like, with the, let's say, the hardcore kind of uh, matches. So, like, uh, Mick Foley is obviously one of the innovators with that, because, well, I mean, what's, what's that group? ECW? Mm-hmm. So they were kind of like the big proponents of that, but you had people in the WWF slash WWE, like Jeff Hardy and uh, the Dudley Brothers, mm-hmm. and them people, all those people, who kind of really, like, that was kind of their thing, and that's what they really did well with. And ladder match it, oh my god, that stuff was so- Christian and Edge as well. Edge, Edge and Christian. Edge and Christian. So they really were into the kind of hardcore aspect, and they were really good at that kind of stuff. And then I guess these other people were more good with the athleticism. I think CM Punk was somebody who was more recent, who was really good with athleticism and kind of that kind of stuff, right? Mm. Uh, his attitude is what drove him over the edge because some wrestlers get by just on attitude alone mm. and become huge stars. Um, like, there's no way that The Rock could have ever been a small-time star. Like, it's just it's not possible. Even even when he was Rocky Maivia and, and wore a fanny pack and a black turtleneck, like he was an amazing athlete and he was uh, just fun to watch, electrifying, for sure. Um, as far as hardcore goes, ECW really was one of the breeding grounds that allowed it to become more mainstream. I thought you used to watch ECW. So I I didn't. So I watched ECW when the WWE bought it and then brought it back on. And it was all right. Uh, Rob Van Dam. He was an amazing athlete. I'm trying to remember him. He did the the five-star frog splash. Yeah, yeah. He was in the WWE. He was very unorthodox. Yeah, he came over there after... ECW. What's that guy's name as well? To- uh, Tony or something? Tommy Dreamer? Tommy, like he had like the stick? Mm-hmm. The kendo stick? Well, yeah, Tommy Dreamer had used a kendo stick sometimes. Sandman did. I'm like, and I mean, the, they all really did. And this is going to be really offensive, but that Arab guy, his, his whole thing. Sabu. Sabu? That guy is fucking insane. Sabu is crazy. Oh my god, like he he's like frightening to watch, but also really fun. I don't know. Yeah, Sabu was was intense for sure. Barbed wire matches where the ring the ring ropes were replaced with barbed wire, <laughs> and uh, I mean Mick Foley used to do that stuff all the time. Mick Foley used to wrestle with Terry Funk all the time in Japan and stuff like that. They would do barbed wire matches. They would do um, TNT matches where they put TNT under plywood in four corners of the of the ring. And if you hit the plywood at all, it would explode the TNT. And uh, at one point, Mick, like they had it planned, like you hit square on the plywood and then the TNT gets absorbed by the plywood. But Mick hit at an angle and his shoulder hit a corner or a side of the plywood. And when the TNT exploded, it reached out underneath and actually singed and burned his shoulder to the point when, when he went back home, flew back home from Japan his wife was like, uh, was asking what that smell was, and he's like, "It's me. Like I, it's literally cooked flesh. He cooked himself because of these types of matches." 
and it just shows that like Mick Foley did not care. He would do anything to be an amazing wrestler. That is so so crazy. That's oh my god. That is so so crazy. Also, just a little side note. Uh, my I think it's my grandmother. My grandmother is like super super Christian and like uh, bloody blah blah. But uh, she got me. I don't know why. Mick Foley's autobiography. She, she knew I was into wrestling. She was okay with that. And she just saw Mick Foley, and she's like, oh, yeah. I, I, it, she shouldn't have. I, I read, like, about a quarter of it, and I was, like, maybe 10 at the time, and I was like, this is stuff I shouldn't be reading about. <laughs> There's, like, so many sexcapades and, like, uh, fucked up shit that happened in there. Mm-hmm. He starts talking about matches and how he lost a piece of his ear, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And he starts talking about, like, the, all these girls he was hooking up with, and I, I don't know, like... I, I, that was 10 at the time, so I might be misremembering it, but there's, like, too much shit in there where it's like, I can't be reading this anymore. This is not for me. Yeah, Mick was real hardcore. He was the guy who, uh, when they had the steel cage, and he was with The Undertaker, and The Undertaker threw him off the top of the steel cage, and he went through the announcer table. And that was supposed... That was, like, ridiculous that, that he would do that at all. Like, nobody else would ever conceive of doing that. It was originally a joke... Where they were like, well, what can we do? He's like, how about you throw me off? And then he thought about it. He's like, actually, I want you to throw me off the top of the thing. He did. He went through the table. They carried him away on a stretcher. And he made it halfway up the ramp. And he got off the stretcher and climbed back up to the top of the steel cage. Continued the match. And then the, the top of the cage was held by... Like, uh, like imagine twist ties made out of steel, and that's what was holding the cage onto the frame, and they were panels of, uh, of like, chain-link fence um, held to, like, a steel frame, and Undertaker did, like, a choke slam, and it was, or a move of some sort, I'm honestly not remembering, onto one of those panels, and what happened was not supposed to happen, is all of those twist ties popped, and the actual cage itself swung open, and he fell all the way through down onto the mat below, and was flat on his back. And that was not planned at all. That was an actual accident. He punctured several, several. He punctured his lungs by breaking several ribs. He had a severe concussion, and he finished the match. The end of the match was the Undertaker was Mick taking thousands of thumbtacks metal thumbtacks spraying them out across the mat and then it's like a one of those like reverse double reversals or whatever where he turns around and he's about to get chokeslammed and then he reverses it and it looks like he's going to ddt undertaker into it and then at the last second undertaker grabs his throat and chokeslams him onto the tacks while he has punctured lungs internal bleeding broken ribs and a severe, severe concussion. Now he's covered in tacks all over his back. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched wrestling, don't like wrestling or whatever, watch this one match. This match, also if you say, oh, wrestling's fake, it's so dumb, watch this one match. It is a, oh God, it's, it's such a good match, but it's also a terrible match because it's so dangerous. Like, that's not a match that should be happening. But at the same time, it's super entertaining. Super fucking entertaining. It's crazy. And 
what these people put themselves through is just insane. The TLC matches back when it was the Hardys versus Chris, Edge and Christian versus the Dudleys, the tables, ladders, and chairs, and they were all so innovative with the use of them and how, like, how to hurt people with these objects that we all see and use mostly on a daily basis, tables and chairs. Um, so, I mean, like the crazy moves that they do flipping flips and going through tables and hitting each other with chairs and crazy different ways. Like there's uh, TLC, like one, two and three are all amazing, amazing matches where they keep having to top themselves. The first one's crazy. And then the second one, they have to top the first one. So they make it even crazier and it just keeps getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Now we focus a lot on Mick Foley. Would you have any other wrestlers that we'd say are, are your favorite or? Uh, I really like Triple H. I think as far as um, as far as wrestlers go, he checkmated the whole wrestling world. Like it, it, wrestling was his entire life. That's all he cares about is wrestling, and he's he was driven to the point where the most checkmate move you can make to make yourself the top of the wrestling world would be to marry the boss's daughter (laughs) like is there any other there's nobody else who can top him now and now he's like the owner or he's going to be taking over at least when vince decides he wants to step back he's already brought in so many new things like nxt and and a lot of the new diva stuff uh how much more of a checkmate can you have Mm. he's he's a very talented person Mm. And he's definitely a good person to have run the company because he understands the ins and outs and also what makes for good storylines, what makes for good shows. And he knows what the wrestlers are going through, mm. which is... And, do you, want, you have any more wrestlers you want to talk about? Mm. I really like uh, like Hardcore Holly. Um, a, lo- a lot of people like don't even remember who he was, uh, Bob Holly. But he's like... He was an amazing technical wrestler, um, and he had great power, and he was great at like teaching new people like how to how to wrestle, bringing people in, um, being a recruiter and and a trainer. But he was also just like a great wrestler. He didn't have the best gimmick. He was just hardcore Holly. He, he was from he was a badass from Alabama who didn't put up with bullshit. Uh, but I always thought that he was an underappreciated wrestler. Mm. I I remember liking him when I watched him. I'm just trying to actually remember him because he's kind of forgettable in that sense. If you watch the match with Hardcore Holly versus Chris Benoit, they I I had to reach out to to Bob Holly and ask him on Twitter in the match versus Chris Benoit, were you guys like actually did you guys actually hate each other and were actually hitting each other because I've watched so much wrestling, old wrestling. I've probably watched from the late 80s to the early 1000s, every single Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-view, everything, at least twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, so being able to tell like when when someone's really hitting each other and when they're not, like sometimes people accidentally hit each other and you can tell when they actually do it. It looked so real. And his response was that they were a lot more stiff with each other. And that was just their styles. They like to... The easiest way to fake something is to not make it fake. Yeah. Like, actually, like, like don't pull your forearms when you when you go in and hit somebody. Actually, give them, give them a touch on it. 
actually do some of the moves because a lot of them aren't designed to actually hurt you anyway. So that match, if I'm set, if if you want to see a match that looks like one of the most real matches I've ever seen, uh, Hardcore Holly versus Chris Benoit. So kind of disconnecting from specifics, let's get a little more general into what wrestling kind of really is. And people have said, and this is a claim that I was skeptical of at first, but that wrestling is kind of like modern mythology. It's kind of like modern kind of... uh, uh, Some people compare it to Shakespeare and like kind of play acting with like really good theatrics. But it's also kind of like a mythology in a way because you have these kind of titans with these kind of storylines and stuff, like kind of Greek gods almost, and they're kind of interacting in these kind of huge and crazy ways. And I think there's a lot to that. I mean, I think it is kind of like theater. It's kind of like theater with like a high performance element. But it's also kind of like this uh, mythological kind of aspect to it. Mythological in like storylines? Yeah, mythological in that, like, uh, you know, imagine that Zeus has an issue with uh, Hades, and so he goes down to Hades and says, Hades, you're going down, bro, for what you did to my uh, my girlfriend here. I don't like it. And Hades like, well, sucker, you gotta come at me right now. Let's do it. And so then they have a brawl, and I'm saying the scale and the mythology behind the characters is such that it's kind of like these larger-than-life kind of heroic, you know, godlike figures kind of duking it out over their ethics, morality, their passion, their emotions, their uh, past. Was that your Booker T impression? (laughs) Can you dig it, sucker? I can't do it. That reminds me of the greatest tag team of all time, Booker T and Goldust. Oh, God, memories. They were the most amazing tag team of all time because they were hilarious. Their skits they would do together were amazing. I really like Goldust myself. I think that he's uh, he's an amazing wrestler because he's so unorthodox while still being technical at the same time. It's great. But anyway, I'll, I'll keep going on tangents, I'm sure. So, I mean, a lot of the storylines were really, really, really dumb. But then again, a lot of the storylines in Greek mythology and mythology in general are pretty dumb. Give me some examples. So let's, let's take more of the Shakespearean aspect. So Romeo and Juliet. Uh, this girl loves a guy. They kind of fall in love. And then uh, his parents say, no, you can't be together. And then they kill themselves. It's kind of dumb. Just like wrestling. Yeah. Uh, or l- l- let's say uh, Hamlet. This this king is like, blah, blah, blah. And then the queen's like, no, that's not Hamlet. <laughs> but anyway, the queen's like, no, uh, uh. And then there's like some curse or something, and then uh, they, they all kill each other. Hmm, I'm seeing a pattern. Um, and then what's the, the taming of the shrew? This girl's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bitch, and people are like, oh shit, she, she's, she's a handful, and so then uh, they don't kill each other in this one. <laughs> oh shit, she's a handful. <laughs> Such a oh man, that is great. <laughs> just like, just like Shakespeare wrote it. <laughs> man, she's a handful. Oh boy. 
but no maybe a better analogy is kind of like modern kind of superhero movies and comics and stuff but i think it's that way to a lesser extent i don't think it's played up as much as being like a you know kind of this godlike figures but i i think there is come kind of like a kind of uh undertones of that i think there's undertones with that with like a lot of things like a, a lot of tv shows and stuff Mm. I mean, that it sounds like basic storytelling, underdog stories, um, Titan stories where they're, they're great. And then eventually they fall sometimes for a noble purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then resurrection, uh, people coming back after falling from grace and coming back into grace, classic baby face heel turns. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of, all of those things are, are pretty standard for storytelling in general. Um, but the the fact that they can tell a story they they tell the like these tales through words and acting and and uh relationships and stuff like that but the matches themselves are the stories that i always find the most interesting of like when it, i mean it, it it almost seems formulaic for a lot of it where one guy will start out losing and then he'll he'll take over and he'll have the momentum and then the momentum will switch again and then at the very end they're both really tired and really close to to either could win on a single punch and then a super move happens and it almost wins and then another super move happens and then that one does win or maybe somebody interferes and that chain that that changes the tides one way or the other or something along those lines but I know a lot of the, the crazy storylines are the ones that I remember the most, mm. like the one with sexual chocolate yeah. or Moppy, the greatest love story ever told. Was that Moppy and Head? No, he- Head was uh, was different. Head was Al Snow's um, confidant, uh, escort, whatever you want to call it. Can you explain a little bit? Yeah, Al Snow would carry around a mannequin head and he would talk to it. And he would be, he was crazy. And one time it got kidnapped and like he was freaking out and stuff like that. But it was like, it was like his girlfriend almost. But the chant that they would always want to do is, what does everybody want? Head. What does everybody need? Head. I didn't, (coughs) I feel so dumb because I didn't get that until I was like 20. (laughs) <laughs> like I didn't realize there's an innuendo going on there. Like I thought it was just I thought people just wanted like this mannequin head. <laughs> Al Snow was uh was pretty edgy in that way and, and really original. Um he was definitely a really important um important person in in wrestling. Um being the the head of the job squad cuz when when you wanted to get one superstar to like really good high fame levels to become a titan they need to beat a whole bunch of people but you can't start off beating other titans because then it makes the other titans look really weak so you have to have all of these people who choose to lose matches to try and build up other people's notoriety so the job squad was a bunch of people like uh like stevie richards al snow the blue meanie who would all lose matches all the time because it helped build up other people and they were basically saying, "You guys are nothing without us. We're what make you great." And I thought I thought that was just a really important movement. It's kind of I never really thought about that because there's one aspect to it is to try and create this hierarchy, which is kind of a, a fictional hierarchy. It's kind of created hierarchy, 
but they have to give this hierarchy kind of legitimacy. So it's one of the issues I've had with wrestling in general because you can ask the question, oh, who would win this match? This person, this person. And sometimes the question is kind of nonsense. Of course, this is the other person. But then you look through like their wins and losses, and that wouldn't make any sense. How dare Angle lose to this person when he's that great? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of... Uh, what they're trying to sell people on a lot of times is, you know, whoever the world champion is, is that good. Like, no one else can beat them. And to sell that, they have to do a very good job of creating this kind of hierarchy of competence and skill. And maybe sometimes they can say, this one person is not very good with this kind of thing. Like, these acrobatics and stuff. Like, you can deal with, you know, more of a standard person, but someone like, say, I don't know, Rey Mysterio, who's kind of flipping around and stuff, he doesn't quite know what to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But... Very similar to a boxing match or an MMA match where you have, in MMA, you have maybe somebody who's in, who does Taekwondo and maybe somebody who's a boxer by, by, you know, original training and they have to learn other ways and and how to fight against other people. How does a boxer fight? How does somebody who only uses their hands fight against somebody who only uses their feet? Mm. And then the next week you have to go against somebody who grapples completely different fish and you got to figure out how to fight that. And I think that falls under the same the same idea that they can use these same ideas that do happen in real fighting and use them to their advantage in in how these people interact. There were, there was uh, two, instance, two two or three instances I can think of is uh, a lot of times when smaller people have to face off against say the Big Show or Great Call I think it was Great Kali the Great Kali he was awful and uh, who's that he died though. But uh, Kane, when people have to face off against those couple people, if they're a little person, they have to sell that they have some method or they have to figure out some method of attacking. Because mm-hmm. you can't sell this person just punching Kane or the big show and it actually working. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something like that. Or they got to play dirty. Mm-hmm. Usually taking out their base is a good, good bet. If they can't walk, they're pretty incapacitated. Mm-hmm. Get or, them down to your size. Aerial stuff like I think uh, one way they sold that with Rey Mysterio against uh, did he face off against Big Show? No, it's Great Cully. I'm sure he's done both. But uh, they they tried selling that by having him do these acrobatic stuff, which he could like kind of get up high and hit him in the face and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which it's kind of interesting. Mm. For sure, a lot of Hurricanranas and stuff like that <laughs> that were originally like uh, like very lucha libre style. Uh, I know, like, uh, like Lita used to do Lita Kenranas, which was just, like, Hurricane Rana, only she was doing it. But um, a, a lot of women started adapting it before men started adapting it, at least in, in WWF, WWE. I was very naive as a child, or teenager, I don't know what I was, but I was very naive because Edge was dating Lita on the show, and they were going to have this event at the you know for the finale of the show and they're gonna have sex live in the ring and the whole time i was watching this I'm like they can't do that they can't show that that it's only rated like pg-14 or whatever it was rated. yeah whatever it's rated and they can't do that. how they can do oh god they're gonna get shut down what's going on like i was like i don't know why but i was taking it so seriously hmm. and my brain now is like, okay, they're going to find some way to get out of it. Some person is going to interrupt them. Something's going to happen. But at the time, I was like, oh, my God, they can't do this. What are they doing? And and I was so dumb back then. Edge actually was dating Lita. I thought that in, in real life. Yeah, 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 I thought so. 
she was dating Matt Hardy and cheated on him with Edge. In real life? Yeah. <laughs> and then Matt Hardy got hired, got fired for it. Because <laughs> Matt Hardy was like blew up about it. That's funny. Well, you know, it's <laughs> fun, but it's, it's whatever. And now I think Edge is married to Beth Phoenix. So we actually know some people who are in the wrestling. We do. We know a lot of people. I know Brian Langell is uh, actually an announcer for IHW, Innovative Hybrid Wrestling, a sponsor of this show. Mm, and uh, where does Chris Giddon fit into this? He's uh, an announcer as well. And do they have a podcast? They do. They have a couple of podcasts. Uh, rock star Chris Cole is uh, co-host along with Brian Langell on uh, WTF, What's the Finish, uh, which is uh, actually a pop culture podcast. Uh, Brian does three-player co-op TPC, which is what the TPC network, which we are now a part of, is actually uh, was originally designed around. Um, and then Chris also does the uh, Rockstar Family Podcast, where he does interviews with his uh, his kids, and uh, his wife's on there. Uh, Mrs. Rockstar's on there sometimes, and uh, it's it's actually it's it's actually really entertaining um, to to listen to the what the kids have to say and and how they all interact as a family. It's uh, it's it's heart it's charming for sure. Uh, definitely something that I would suggest would be check out WTF. And uh, if you like their if you like their personalities, if you like who they are, um, check out more of what they do. So uh, just uh, to to lead us out here, Nate, um, tell me, name f- five female wrestlers: Trish Stratus, Stacy Keebler, Lita. We got uh, I forget forget her name. Uh, I know her name, uh, Paige, and then there is. Uh, China. Oh, good one. She's dead too. She was in porn, and she has a giant clit. Wasn't she in one porno with Xbox? Was it with Xbox? It's called yeah, Sean White. No, wait. A <laughs> so, night in China. So, yeah, that's with that's Xbox. Yep. That's. I, I, okay, I'm not gonna comment. I was gonna say it's funny, but it. it it kind of is. That's it's great. <laughs> she was she was dating Triple H, and Triple H cheated on her with Stephanie McMahon. There's a lot of cheating involved. Yeah, I mean life's life's a game. You gotta you can cheat, but where does it really get you? Mm. President of the company. Uh, okay, let's we'll, we'll flip this on its head here. That's a good point. Good point. I like it. What about head? What do we want? Head. What do we need? Head. <laughs> I don't think that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so to flip this on its dome, what's have you named five male wrestlers? Um, Takamichi Noku, uh, Funaki, William Regal, uh, Finlay, and the Dragon. I'm sure that's a wrestler. <laughs> I tried to go with all foreign, all foreign uh, wrestlers. You're trying to show off your knowledge. Trying to, sh- I just wanted to say Takamichinoku. because that's a fun one. How about the the man they call Vader? We didn't even talk about how great announcers are and what they add to the whole mix. Oh man, we're gonna have to talk about wrestling again. But for now, I think that we 
need to talk later at some point. Sometime later. Hey fans, we know you're on Twitter and you're on Facebook. You're on social media getting breaking news the minute it happens. Well, good news. So are we. Innovative Hybrid Wrestling has social media covered. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We post everything you need to know about Innovative Hybrid Wrestling. So make sure you're following us so you're the first to get the inside scoop. This has been a TPC Network podcast. For more shows like this, go to tpcnetwork.com slash podcasts.